DW Deutsche Welle Pulse Oh baby African beauty Daddy A Kenzo Well, what a great way to kick off this week's edition of Pulse. My name is Jen Nyinge, and this being the last show this year, I'll be taking you through down the memory lane, focusing on some of our favorite pieces that were aired right here on Pulse. Coming up in the next 20 minutes, disability is not inability. We meet a group of young Ugandans who are super talented dancers despite their condition. It has always been my dream to inspire many people with disabilities, to show them that they can also do something. And this is one way I could show to the world and to those people with disability that you can also do something. Also in the program will be in London where a young cook is making Ghanaian food trendy in the British capital and her customers cannot get enough of it. I love it. Food back home is a lot more rustic. It's presented in a way that appeals to everyone and um, you're actually tempted to give it a go. And um, the look, she's created it very simple using a few ingredients. Um, yeah. Well, for all that and much more, please stick around. Now, disability is not inability. So goes the saying in Uganda where 12% of people live with disabilities, majority being the youth. In order to inspire others, a group of seven young Ugandan have joined Splash Group for inclusive dancing where people with disability dance together with abled persons to build confidence among people with special needs. The group was formed four years ago by Helen Bangingham, a British national living in Uganda. Frank Eager went along to meet the group and brings us more. A few meters away from the Oasis shopping mall in Kampala city center, I hear the sound of serenade music coming from the basement. The closer I get, the louder it sounds. As I get closer, I see a group of seven disabled and able-bodied dancers swiftly dancing to the music. Joseph Tebandike, one of the dancers, is walking with the support of crutches. Out of curiosity, I asked him what motivated him to join the group. It has always been my dream to inspire many people with disabilities, to show them that they can also do something. And this is one way I could show to the world and to those people with disability that you can also do something. According to the reaction feedback we are getting from people who are seeing what we are performing, they're really liking us, and every time we are performing, they're like, you guys should come back. That really keeps us moving and gives us more energy to train again and giving something different. Smiling. Maintain eye contact, guys. They all dance to the beat while following instruction from their instructor, Michael Howard Ahumuza. 
He's moving in all directions on the dance floor, observing all dancers and making sure they all move to the rhythm. He tells me, with the vast experience and skills he has in choreography, he's able to teach his dancers the right moves, regardless of their physical disabilities. The style that we use a lot that, we, that communicates best uh, what's within us is contemporary because at the end of the day, their disabilities restrict them from some specific dance styles. So we find that contemporary is one of those dance styles that actually will so easily incorporate both. It's, it's the kind of dance style that is inclusive. Uh, movement is easy and not segregative at all. These people all have stories. You, you came here thinking it was just dance. We're telling you we have a weightlifter on the national team of the country. We have the wheelchair race champion. And these are all people you cannot look at and tell that that's what they are. Atite Priska is enjoying every moment of her dance rehearsals. She's not disabled, but dances with the disabled. She tells me she is in the right place at the right time with the right partners because she is a university student doing arts and majoring in dance. Dancing with the people with disabilities and yet you're not disabled feels natural and heartfelt. Like you have something they don't have, but on stage you people are producing something that is unison. But now when it comes to the choreographies, there are some movements like the disabled boys can do and yet I cannot do. So it makes you feel like it's a complete package if you try to mingle and understand the reason as to why you're all working together. We have Helen here, the founder of a group of persons with disabilities. It is now seven months since Splash Dance Group was founded by Helen Burningham, the lead choreographer and instructor who has been living in Uganda for nearly four years. She says she was saddened to see young disabled persons being unproductive. The youth have a lot of energy. They have a lot of strength. Um, many of the people on my team have different uh, gifts. Uh, some of them, uh, they might have physical disabilities, but they're also basketballers, uh, weightlifters, aspiring DJs. So I think the youth have that energy. They don't want to give up. Uh, so that was my um, idea for having young people involved and to give them something positive to do with their time. Twenty-year-old Mobiru Kevin is not only a dancer but also a wheelchair basketballer. Both his lower limbs are missing, but he's unstoppable in dancing. He uses his hands to do what he wants to, but above all, he is living his dream. Since I was a child, yeah, I loved dancing a lot. So, like when I got this opportunity of Splash Dance Group, I was like, "Wow, I should join this group because this is the right place I should be." Edson Gidabakunzi is the director of National Union of Disabled Persons in Uganda. He says these young dancers are demystifying that all is possible and all they need is a conducive environment that will support them in their area of trade. We always believe that disability is not an ability and therefore we need our younger person disabilities to be able to be productive in their communities by doing all sorts of decent work. And some of the decent work relates to, of course, music, dance and drama. This is something that I think the government should take up very strongly to profile this case and support them to be much better. 
The introduction of inclusive dancing of the disabled with able-bodied persons is another way of fighting stigma and proving to the world that their ability is greater than the disability. In only seven months of their existence, the seven young members of Splash Dance Group are already making positive impact in communities by communicating through music and dance. For DW, this is Frank Yiga, Uganda. Staying on the subject of music and dance, we fly across the Atlantic to Washington, D.C., the U.S. capital city. You might think the city is famous for the White House and the American president, but since the mid-60s, the city, which has a large African-American population, was well known for funk music style called Go-Go. Even today, it remains pretty popular, and now one band, big on the scene, are about to take their music back to its origins in Africa. DW's Malte Roa Kalman has the details. I love it. It's the most incredible beat in the world. Anytime you just hear this beat, it just makes you want to move. I can't imagine me having a life without Gogo. I just always love it. Donnell Floyd is on stage with his band, Team Familia. The venue, a sports bar on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., is not sold out. But the few hundred people who came are dancing, swaying, heaving up and down as one body to the beat of Go-Go, the U.S. capital's very own music style. Every city gets their chance at uh, stardom. Uh, New York had hip-hop and uh, Atlanta has the Dirty South and it gives us a chance. Go-Go music means to me that we have an opportunity to have our own identity as Washingtonians. Danelle was born and raised here in D.C. He's a true go-go legend who's been in the game for more than 30 years. During his career, he also played the saxophone alongside a name even bigger than his. You know who Chuck Brown is? Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown. The Godfather throat, Chuck Brown. Give it a break now. Chuck Brown was the godfather of go-go. He passed away five years ago and then it looked like Gogo could die with him. The number of bands and shows had dwindled. Many traditional Gogo venues in central DC had closed down. For the last 20 years or so, DC has been undergoing extreme gentrification. It's been rapid, it's been aggressive. The black presence is being erased in the city. And like, I think it's very important that that does not happen to Gogo. That's Natalie Hopkinson, who wrote a book on Gogo. She says it's under siege. African Americans proudly started calling DC the Chocolate City in the 70s because it was the first majority black city in the US. But by 2011, the share of black Washingtonians had fallen to below 50%. Gogo to me just represents that sort of perseverance and that, look, we're here. And not only are we here, we're celebrating. We're having a good time. We're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna create music. We're gonna fellowship with each other. You know, we're, it's, it's very exuberant. For now, the conga beats are still rolling in DC. Gogo has its peaks and its valleys. And um, uh, right now we're going through obviously a valley, but I push for Gogo because it's just, I want the world to hear what an incredible thing that D.C. has been uh, living with for the last 35 years. And soon, Donnell will finally get the chance to do so. 
He and Team Familia will take Gogo out of D.C. to Africa. We were invited to play for the king of F.A., F.A. Nigeria, and uh, we're extremely excited. We've never done anything like that. I don't think we've ever been out of the country. It's just a, a wonderful opportunity. So whatever people say, D.C.'s Gogo artists might have been a little bit down, but they are definitely not out. After all, Gogo was called Gogo because of its beat. That go goes on and on and on and Now it's official African food is one of the hottest new food trends in London at the moment. Thanks to young cook like Zoe Ajoya, whose father is Ghanaian and mother is Irish. Zoe runs a restaurant in Brixton and has just published a cookbook entitled Zoe's Ghana Kitchen. Emma Wallis caught up with her at a trendy cafe in East London's Hipster Central. As a child, being born to two immigrant parents, that made for sort of an interesting <laughs> diet growing up. You know, on one side it's very Irish, and, on, and then my dad's side, he used to bring home these like very exotic ingredients, exotic at the time, you know, fermented maize dough, dumplings like kenke, and smoked fishes like tilapia, and hot pepper sauce like shito. Zoe Ajonia looks right at home in this hipster cafe just around the corner from her warehouse studio, where she used to host supper clubs back in 2010. But the food she learned to cook from her father took her to another continent entirely. It's like that connection to home. And once I realised that, because we didn't have much of a Ghanaian family in London, West African food then became a route for me towards understanding that side of my heritage and culture. Starting with peanut butter stew very famous dish across lots of West Africa, cooked differently in different countries, but it's a very spicy peanut broth dish, which is um, you know, sweet and savoury at the same time, and people do love it. It's a great comfort food. Zoe is quick to point out that she is essentially a home cook, not a trained chef, but she's cooked in restaurant residences and festivals across the UK for so long now that her cooking credentials got her a first cookbook deal, which came out this year. Her aim, she said, is to make African food as trendy as tapas in London. South of the river in Brixton's pop venue, a collection of shipping containers piled around wooden picnic benches and bar stalls, is an eclectic mix of bars and pop-up restaurants selling food and drink from all around the world. Zoe's Ghana kitchen is full and there's a queue waiting to be seated in the tiny space on the upper level. I love it. Yeah. How does it compare then to food back in Ghana? I think food back home is a lot more rustic. It's presented in a way that appeals to everyone and um, you're actually tempted to give it a go because of just purely based on presentation and um, the look she's created it very simple using just a few ingredients. Um, yeah. Cooking in the tiny shipping container kitchen tonight is Zita from Hungary who was trained by Zoe. So I cook for you the rice, jollof rice, it's vegan, absolutely vegan and spicy. And uh, lamb cutlets with peanut sauce. Which are not vegan. Yeah, which are not <laughs> vegan. <laughs> peanut sauce is vegan. 
Back in Hackney, the Ghanaian and West African communities have noticed an uptick in the numbers of people coming to their stores and takeaways too. Can you just describe some of the vegetables? You've got yams here. Yam, plantain, kondo for our bankung and um, cassava dough. Do you find that lots more people are coming in, having an interest in Ghanaian food now, not just from the Ghanaian community in yes, the UK? Yes, yes. Lots of people comes in, other tribes come in and different people are eating more Ghanaian food these days, yes. The first thing I realised going back in 2014 was the amazing plethora of fresh ingredients that were available. So yeah, just realising, having my eyes open to that amazing expanse of ingredients was great. For a while I was concerned about not to be seen as sort of appropriating a culture, you know, which is one of the reasons I called it Zoe's Garner Kitchen as well, because I didn't I wanted to be it clear from the beginning that this was my expression of the food and my experience of it. She soon realised that she needn't have worried. Everyone has their own take on the favourites, even in Ghana. While I was in Ghana I noticed that for example, in my, my grandmother's house, three different women, you know, my grandmother who's Fanti, my aunt Evelyn who's Ewe, and uh, Mercy who's Ashanti, they all cooked jollof rice slightly differently. You know, They had different methods for cooking it, and there was ownership of each version of it. So I felt that there was some license in that realisation for me to be able to interpret in my surroundings, in London, my version of it, you know? And back in Ghana, what some might have thought of as traditional foods like wache are constantly evolving, as Zoe found. In Ghana, you know, there's a dish called wache, and you have your shito on there, and you, you know, you have all of these things, and it's like one dish called wache, but also the stew is called wache, plus the rice is called wache. And it's a street food, so you get this for breakfast or something, it's like five course meal for breakfast. But it has noodles on the plate as well and I'm like where did that come from and it's because of the Chinese influence in West Africa over the last what must be 20 or so years but it's become so common to eat these endami noodles that it's become part of the wache dish. Now that she's put Ghanaian food on the map in London she's about to turn her attention to the rest of the continent and will set off on a trip in 2018 going as far south as Botswana and down the east coastal regions. There might, she thinks, be another cookbook in the works and a new restaurant concept too, proving that business sense, social media and a lot of hard work can turn a home cook into a successful entrepreneur in 21st century London. For DW, this is Emma Wallace in the UK. Young money, young money. Well, it's a wrap. That's where we end today's show. Don't forget, if you missed any bit of it or you want to listen again, simply visit our website, DW Africa. Also, don't forget to tune in next week because we'll be back with an even brighter and better new sound for all of you. Until then, my name is Jen Nyinge, and from the entire team here in Bonn, Germany, we wish you a great festive season and a fantastic 2018. <laughs>